So I dreamed that death came the other night, and heaven's gate swung open wide. With kindly grace, an angel came and ushered me inside. There, to my astonishment, stood folks that I'd known on earth, most of whom I considered no good, unfit, of little worth. Well, indignant words rose to my lips, but never were set free, for everyone's face showed stunned surprise. No one expected me. I start with that because as I go into this verse that we're going to be on today, uh, it has this tagline, which I'll show you in a second, that a lot of preachers seem to use uh, as means to tell people who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. And I've said this before, but I just want to repeat it. I don't have that pipeline to heaven. Uh, some preachers seem to. They can point to people and tell you who's going to hell. Uh, but it's kind of above my pay grade. So I don't know who's doing it. The only thing I really know about heaven and hell, to be, people ask me, the only thing I really know about heaven and hell is I know that Jesus said some of the people who are there are going to surprise us, and some of the people we thought were going to be there aren't going to be there, and that's really all I know about it. Other than that, it's your heart, and I can't see your heart, so I don't know. And this isn't a sermon about who's going to go to heaven and who's going to hell, or, or, or even a series on it. I want to make sure we all understand that. I think people coming here for a while know that. But what I'm focused on isn't heaven and hell. That's life. I'm talking about, over this series, abundant life. Jesus in John 10 says this, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life. I believe he's talking about salvation there and have it abundantly. So what I'm interested in is abundant life. That's what I want to see. I want to see it in my life. I want to see it in your life. I want to have the kind of life that I see the disciples running around with in the book of Acts. So my focus in this series isn't to try to teach you about salvation, but to teach us all and learn about how can we get that abundant life that we seem to be missing. Or maybe you've got it. And if so, <coughs> I really, really need to give you the microphone because I haven't been able to grab it like I wanted to. I just, every time I read the book of Acts, I feel a little bit uh, insecure about my place in things. So uh, here is the scripture that we're talking about. We went into this last, last week, but Paul talks about something called the fruits of the Spirit, which is what we're all supposed to have in our life if we're saved and have the Holy Spirit. And uh, I look at the list of the fruits of the Spirit, I'm thinking, I don't have that like I think I ought to. Why not? Well, before that verse, he goes into what I would call the fruits of the devil, the other side. In other words, uh, this is what you got if you don't have, this is what you get by default, right? These are the weeds of life. The flesh sets itself to desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, and they are, and then he gives us a list, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and in case your favorite sin isn't up there, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have always forewarned you, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know that last little tagline sounds an awful lot like he's saying, if you got these, you're not going to heaven. And that's one interpretation. The other interpretation is the kingdom of heaven comes with all of its glory. And for, inher for an inheritance to come, it means you get the entire level of the inheritance. In other words, when uh, God comes, he gives you everything. And if, if you've got this in your life, that means you're not getting the other things in God's life. So I want to look, before I dig deep into this, and we're going to go into the ones some of you really eagle-eyed, you know, some of the font was bolded and bigger. We're going to be talking about those today. But before we get there, I'm going to break up one step further and say I think there are kind of three main roots 
of evil uh, or the devil's fruit, right? So look, kind of those of you who are artists or something, you know there's three primary colors and from those colors you can generate every other color in the universe. I believe there are three primary things that the devil uses and from these you can generate pretty much every other thing that hell comes up with. And so I want to walk through those first and, and they are, in my opinion, I don't have a scripture on this, anger, fear, and lust. It seems those are the central things that drive everything the devil does. The weird thing is that none of these in and of itself are necessarily evil. The devil takes them and uses them for evil. And I know that seems weird, but let me just really quick go through this. Um, anger isn't necessarily evil. God gets angry and he can't sin. So anger by itself isn't sinful. But it quickly becomes sinful in our hands. It's like a power that we can't really handle. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But fear, same thing. Fear of the Lord is a good thing. Right? Uh, fear of falling or something might keep you from getting too close to a cliff. So fear in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but when fear drives you to make decisions, it has become a tool of the devil. And you may think, well, lust isn't ever any good. Well, actually, if those of you who are here for my Christmas Eve sermon, uh, I talked about the passage in Peter where he talks about the, the angels long to look at the salvation of the Lord. And this passage, like almost like there's this book of prophecy, and the angels look at this little section in that, and it's like there's long to look at this, right? That word that is translated as longing or desire actually could better be translated lust. In other words, it's a strong desire for something you can't have. Well, that's actually put in you to make you desire heaven. That strong desire is something you can't have. It draws you to heaven. So that strong desire isn't a problem. The problem is when it gets perverted. So all these things are actually kind of inside of you, and the devil uses them to twist your life around. Each one of these things gets perverted by the devil, and we're going to look today pretty much about anger. Now I'm going to break down each one of those words real quickly that we're going to focus on. The first one is a weird word that we don't use very much anymore, enmity. You can kind of see the base of enemy in there as well. But uh, enmity, if you take a look at it, is hostility, a reason for opposition. In other words, these people just automatically will oppose you. Do you know people like that? If you say one thing, they'll say the other, you know, no matter what you do, no matter how much you try. It might be a relative. Hopefully it's not a spouse. But, you know, it, it's somebody close to you oftentimes, the enmity. Um, this is just this kind of some people just always ready for a fight, right? And the next one is strife, and this is in contention. This is somebody who's always quarreling, always debating, always want ready to fight, again, argument. And then, of course, we have jealousy. We know what jealousy is. But jealousy is the way it's used here. This Greek word actually means rivalry. In other words, it's like jealousy, you're always, um, always jealous because you feel like you should be better than them. It's not just you want what they have. You want to be better than them. Disputes is the other one, which is a desire to put oneself forward. It's partisan, a fractious spirit, which does not shy away from dishonest actions. You could call this dirty politics. would be another way of thinking about this word. It's like I'll do whatever I have to to get ahead kind of a thing, usually backdoor kind of ideas. And then dissensions is disunion and division. And then we have the, um, the one that was, was uh, translated as factions there, but it's actually closer to heresies. But I want you to see where this heresy comes from. It comes from a difference of opinions and goals. So we have different, we have different objectives we're trying to get here. So they, they, they start teaching false teachings because they're trying to draw you to something else. And finally, of course, envy. Is it just kind of, we know what envy is, right? It's ill, ill will, spite. So if I were to put all these in a picture, and I say, I got a guy I want you to meet. And I start describing him to you. He's contentious. He's always accusing. He's hostile. He's a fierce rival. 
He uses backdoor politics. He's divisive. He's cliquish. He likes to get in little groups, and just those are his friends and no one else. And he's very, very jealous person, right? This is a person you can't, can't, can't wait to meet, right? He's like, this is everything you, you see there. This is who that person is. That's how I would describe him. These are the things that stick out most about him in my mind. And you're like, well, I know where this guy's coming from. If he's a disciple, it's not a disciple of Jesus, right? And so I know exactly who I'm going to see there. So you're probably thinking, well, if we're going to be talking about those things, we're certainly not talking about Christians. We're talking about somebody not Christian. That's good. Let's go ahead and condemn the rest of the world to hell. We like to do that in church, right? Let's go talk about the evil people who are clearly evil, clearly doing the devil's work, and let's talk about them and why you don't want to be like them. Unfortunately, that's really not how this works because Paul wasn't writing to evil people. He was writing to the church, and he's saying that all those things end up in the church, and you're thinking, how in the world can we justify sin like that? How can we get to the point where we say, oh, that's all okay, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to be envious and jealous and spiteful and argumentative. How can we possibly get there? Well, good Christians know how to turn terms into our favor, right? And having grown up in the church, I know it very, very, very well. In fact, when we first started the church, I was talking to Victoria. I said, we ought to come up with an entire line of shirts, logo wear, and we ought to put the Christian version of the sinful words, the kind of thing, on the front and then put a definition on the back, you know? Like, let me give you an example. Uh, here's one for you. Um, it's not gossip on the front of the shirt. On the back of the shirt says, if it's a prayer request. Because <laughs> as long as I'm making a prayer request, I can say whatever I want. You know, bless my neighbor's heart. She's, she's cheating on her husband. We need to pray for her, right? There's, there's a way we share. It's called sharing. It's gossip, uh, which the Bible preaches against so we don't call it gossip. We call it sharing. And we call it prayer requests. And this is my favorite one. I think this would be a bestseller. Uh, I'm not judgmental on the front, on the back. I'm only observant. Right? I think that we could sell a bunch of those. I said, we ought to do that. It would be like a whole bunch of these kind of shirts, you know, and then put our address on the back. And Victoria says, you can't do that. People won't know it's a parody. People think you actually preach that. I said, so much better. We'll be full. I mean, really, honestly, uh, if people think we're preaching this, we know how to take terms, in other words, and turn them around so they don't sound as bad, and then we can keep doing them. This is the little trick we play with our mind. So let me get, show this guy again, and let me describe the very same thing using better terminology. Um, he's not contentious. He's faithful. He's faithful to, to, to the Christian life, and, and so he only contends with those people who disagree with him. Uh, he's not accusing. He defends what's right. And, and by golly, if someone says anything that he doesn't agree with, that's not right, and so he's going to accuse you for it. He's not hostile. He's fervent. There's nothing wrong with being fervent, right? Uh, he's not a fierce rival. No, he's just a warrior. That's God's warrior there, doing, fighting the good fight. I see some of you on Facebook fighting the good fight, always. Uh, he doesn't believe in backdoor politics. No, 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 no. He's influential. He uses his influence to change people's minds, right? That's a, that's a good thing, right? Uh, he's not divisive. He's discerning. Yeah, it's not going to be divisive. It's just he discerns this. I get people tell me this all the time. frustrates me. I have the gift of discernment. I said, what gift is that? So, well, you know, one of the gifts of the Spirit. I have the gift of discernment. I can just look at something and tell you if they're lying. God gave me that gift. Except that's not a gift. That's not listed in the Bible. There's a, there's a gift of discernment of spirits, but it's not the same thing, right? So, but I have discernment. I'm not divisive. Uh, I'm not cliquish. I don't just hang out with just my friends, but I believe in fellowship with my friends, right? So that's what happens. We're, we have someone walk into church brand new, and everybody hangs out with all their friends. We're just going to be cliquish. Uh, and I uh, am not jealous. I am just seeking fairness in life. 
I want life to be fair because God is good and God is just, and therefore I'm wanting to be fair. Here's what I'm trying to say. Unless we're honest with ourselves, that we actually have this stuff in our lives, we're never going to get it out of our lives. And unless we can look at a weed in our garden and say, you know what, that's a weed, we're never going to pull it out. There's no reason to repent from something that's not bad, right? As long as it's not bad, I'm not going to repent. Why would I? And I think a lot of time our sin gets stuck in our life because we're like, it's not really that bad. And if it's not really that bad, it may not even really sin. Maybe in moderation I can do it. And we end up with this sin that's stuck in our life because we refuse to do the work to get it out because we just don't think it's that bad. We have to understand where this is coming from. So let's take a look at the anger root. Now, I believe that grows in our lives. And the Bible talks about anger. And it talks about anger and tells you that this root is dangerous if you let it grow because it bears fruit, but it doesn't bear fruit from the, from the, from the, uh, from the heavenly father. It bears fruit from the earthly Lord. And the first fruit anger will bear is bitterness. If I meet someone who's bitter, and I meet a lot of people who are bitter, I know somewhere in their life is buried the root of anger. And it will color everything else in their life. I can't imagine anything that affects Christians more than bitterness. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. All you have to do is get angry and stay angry and let the fruit grow. Anger root will always produce the fruit of bitterness. You can also call it the unfairness factor. A lot of people are unfair. You know, it's not that they're bitter. It's just like, it's just unfair. Life hasn't been fair to me, and it doesn't seem right. I, I'm just a quick show of hands. I know this is kind of always dangerous doing church. I'm not going to call anybody out, but I'm just curious. Um, I know we have the youth here. You guys are young, and so you've had good lives, but some of our older people here <laughs> especially, how many of you, if you looked at your life today, was exactly as you thought it was going to go 10 years ago. Anyone? No? Boy, not even the youth. How about that? 10 years ago, they're going, I don't know, I was in diapers 10 years ago. But that's not true. You guys are older than that. But um, anyway, but that's kind of where it is, right? Our life didn't go the way we expected it to go. Maybe just last year. You know, maybe our life blew up last year. It did not turn out the way we wanted it to. And what happens a lot of time is that turns into bitterness. I know a lot of people are bitter because life isn't fair, and it's not fair to them. And then we start looking around, and we said, but it seems to be fair to my neighbor. It seems to be fair to my brother. Everything seems to be going fine for them. How come it's not going fine for me? And this unfairness factor kind of starts twisting, and before very long, we got full-on fruit of bitterness in our life. So uh, I want to take a look at a scripture here that you've probably heard of before. It's in Ephesians 4. In your anger, Paul's writing, do not sin. This is the trick. Because he's saying it's okay that you're angry, but you may not sin. So there's some point is what he's telling us. There's a point where anger turns into sin. It doesn't start that way. He's almost saying it's natural that you're angry. Sure, you'll be angry in life, but you don't want to sin. Now, those of you who are married, if you took a premarital course, probably saw this scripture given to you as one of the ones that the teachers taught you how to have a successful marriage. Because it goes on and says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't let the sun go down. You can't go to bed angry. You know, that's, what we, that's what's taught a lot. I don't think we teach that. But uh, I've, I've been taught that. You can't go. But here's why, he says. Because if you do, you'll give the devil a foothold. Now, what he's actually saying is, if you hang on to anger in your life, you give the devil a right to be in your life. He's entering through your anger. 
And as long as you have that in your life, he can come in whenever he wants. See, this is the problem. You know, in, in the Bible, I know it's kind of an icky part of the Bible, but Jesus casts out demons. You can't cast out a demon if he's allowed to be there. And that's what, that's what the disciples find out, and they, they have some of the difficulties with casting out some demons. They have a right to be there, and the reason they have a right to be there is because that person is still holding on to the foothold. It's like opening the door. I want you to leave. No, you don't. You left the door open for me. You don't want me to leave. And they won't. And so this is what the devil said. This is what he's saying. He says, we cannot give the devil a foothold in our life. Be angry, but do not sin. But that's the trick, right? I'm allowed to be angry, but I'm allowed to sin. What's the difference between the two? Well, actually, Paul's quoting here. When he says, be angry, do not sin, he didn't come up with that. That's in the Psalms. The Psalmist puts it this way. Be angry, do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. What the Psalmist is saying is, if you're angry, don't rush out and do anything about it. Meditate, which basically means bring it before God. Meditate. Bring it before God. In the quietness of your, of your, your prayer life, bring it before the Lord and let it go. You need to let it go. Don't sin. You need to be still. Don't continue on with it, he's saying. So Paul's basically saying the same thing. When he's saying don't go, don't let the sun go down your anger, he's basically saying you can't let it sit. If it sits, it dwells in you, and before you know it, it is part of you. And I know people, I know, I've met them, who are nursing their anger to keep it alive. They're actually looking for things to keep their anger alive. And they tell you, I shouldn't do this. I know I should forgive them, but I just can't. And they can't because they keep looking for reasons to keep their anger alive. They like it. There's a lot of reasons why people like anger. The, the main one is the devil's trying to twist you. But the other one is it kind of gives you some, anger could give you energy sometimes. And, and so some people just like holding on to that a little bit. But we have to understand that what's happening is bitterness is growing in your life. And I meet people who are bitter about other people who have done them wrong. And that other person doesn't even know. Sometimes that other person's dead. But a lot of times that other person has no idea that that bitterness is even there. And this person wakes up every day with it. And it's like part of their life. It's such a part of their life they can't remember a time without it. But bitterness is drinking poison every day and waiting for the other person to die. And often they don't even know you're angry with them. It's all in your world. Bitterness is ruining your world. Because if bitterness is growing in the soil of your heart, God's love can't grow in the soil of your heart. That's how this whole thing started. I mean, we talked about the parable of the sower, and we talked about how we're responsible for our soil. Not the sower, not Jesus. We're responsible to make our soil ready to receive the Lord. And if we have not done that work, we're letting the devil grow his weeds in our garden. It's not going to grow the right fruits. And any gardener knows this. If you don't take the weeds out of your soil, you can't grow a crop. Or if you do, it's going to be pitiful because the crop will fight for the same nutrients in the soil that the weeds are already taking. I don't know if you know anything about crop rotation. I don't know much about it, even though I was on a farm growing up. But in crop rotation, there are certain crops you can grow in a rotation, and there are certain crops you can't. Like if you grow corn there, the next year I think you grow hay there. I think that's right. And the reason is because the nutrients that the hay takes out is different than the nutrients that the corn takes out, right? But there's some things you can't grow in consecutive years. That's what they've discovered about soil, where your soil, the nutrients that the word of the Lord needs in your life are the same ones that bitterness has taken out. And if you want to know why you don't have the power of the Lord in your life, it's because you've got the power of bitterness in your life instead. How's that working out for you? Because God says if the power of the Lord comes in your life, he's going to change it. 
But this is not changing life for the better. It's making you slowly die a bitter, bitter death. And so in Matthew, he, Jesus says this, I'm telling you, whoever is angry at his brother without cause is in danger of judgment. And people say, oh, good. So if I have cause, I can be angry with my brother as long as I want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if your brother does something to you, that's a brief period of time when you're angry, and then you can let it go. And if you don't, you are now angry at him without cause because he's not continually hurting you. He just hurt you, and you won't let it go. And we know that's the way that Jesus meant this because later Peter comes up to him, the theologian Peter. He says, look, um, Lord, how often shall I, my brother sin against me and I'll still forgive him? Now, Peter must have been doing some reading. He's not going to say twice. He comes to Jesus with what's really kind of a, a good offer seven times. How about seven times I forgive my brother when he does something wrong to me? And Jesus says, nope, 70 times seven. Don't take that literally, by the way. Jesus is just taking a very large number. He's basically saying there's no limit. You need to keep forgiving him. And you know why? Because if you don't forgive him, you hurt you. Not him. You. You give the devil the right to come into your life. You're growing bitterness in your garden, and you're keeping the fruit of the Lord out of it. He's saying, no, you keep doing it. You forgive him. You forgive him. Let it go. Forgive him. And, and, and so that's why he's doing it. Not, not for his sake. God has given us a weapon to use against bitterness, and it's called forgiveness. We need to fire that weapon early, and we need to fire that weapon often. Oftentimes, we hang on to that. It's like, man, I got this forgiveness thing I can use. I'm going to hold on to it until nothing else works. All my bitterness hasn't worked. All my anger hasn't worked. Oh, I guess I'll try forgiveness. Why? Get it out. God gives us forgiveness for a reason. We need to start using it. We need to start using it very, very early on in this instead of suffering for such a long time. Uh, of course, we have to learn how to forgive those who have done us wrong. That's what forgiveness is all about, right? I love that when people say, why should I forgive them? They're wrong. Well, of course they're wrong. That's why you're going to forgive them. You don't need to forgive somebody if they did anything wrong, do you? Of course they're wrong. That's the whole point of forgiveness. That's the whole point. But it brings up an interesting idea, I think, because I believe we also have to learn how to forgive those who've done nothing wrong to us. Now, this is a weird concept. Let me give this one to you. I can see some of you staring at that puzzled. Really? I don't know what that is. Um, I'm, I'm a belief, believer that we need to forgive early and often, right? Uh, actually, Carrie and I were talking once about somebody we both know, and he told me something astonishing. He says, well, this guy doesn't believe that you ever have to forgive anybody who doesn't ask for it. I said, really? That makes no sense at all. First of all, it's counter to almost all of the scriptures, but also, why would you do that? Why would you hold on to something just because somebody asked? What, you're going to let them control the bitterness in your life? Why would you ever do that? I actually believe that sometimes in our life, we're mad at people when we know we don't have a reason to be mad at them, but we're mad at them anyway. And this is how this shows up in your life. I know I should let this go, but I just can't. Ever say that? I know I should let this go, but I just can't. I'm going to tell you, fire that weapon anyway. Fire, on, fire your forgiveness. It's a good weapon. It works. Let me give you an example of this. Um, so, and my apologies to my daughter who works at Walmart, but I was at Walmart, and there's this person in front of me, and they're taking forever, right, which always seems to happen. People say, why do you always pick on Walmart? That's what my, my daughter works there. Why do you always pick on Because I can't afford Target. That's why. I shop at Walmart. That's why I always pick on Walmart. So anyway, I'm at Walmart, I'm staying in line, and the person in front of me is buying something, and it apparently rang up wrong, or it rang up for a different price than she thought, right? And they're arguing about it for a little bit, and apparently, when that happens at Walmart, it becomes a thing. I mean, when you've got, 
basically, it's ringing up a wrong price. Oh, my Lord, you have to have conferences. First of all, the boss came over, and then some other manager came over. Then they had to send some runner back to the shelf. Could this be true? Could we have that price wrong? Man, it was a big deal. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, I'm listening, of course, because I'm stuck in line behind them. And I got a blistering headache anyway, but I can do the math. It's 55 cents, and she's bought two of them. I'm thinking, okay, I think I have a dollar ten in my pocket. Why don't I just go ahead and give her this money and say, here, take it, go, move on with your life. It's only 55 cents. And I'm sitting there with this headache, waiting for it to pass. And the only reason I don't do that is because I think it's going to be insulting if I do. By the way, I've done that in my life. I've paid people's bills just to get them out of line in front of me. It's just that bad for me. And I'm sitting there waiting, and, and finally they come back, and I can't remember how the thing was resolved. I think she didn't buy it. I think she just forget it then and walked out without it. And I'm sitting there angry because I have wasted 20 minutes of my life at the happiest place on earth. Uh, and I have a headache, and i got to get home, and I'm like angry. But listen, that woman didn't do anything to me. She didn't really do anything wrong. For all I know, that 55 cents turning into $1.10 was a difference between whether she could buy that baby's formula or not. I don't know what 55 cents is to her. I might have had it in change in my pocket, but that might have been all she had. She was just simply saying, it's fair. You put a price, and it should be that price. It didn't ring up that price. That's what she was saying. There's nothing wrong with that. If it was $1,000, I would have supported her, right? Then she didn't do anything wrong. But I'm mad anyway. I'm walking out of the parking lot. I'm telling myself, I should let this go. But I just can't. 20 stinking minutes over that, you know? I'm sitting there walking out there. You know what you need to do sometimes? Your spirit needs to take control of your flesh and tell your flesh, forgive. Because your spirit knows better, right? Intellectually, I knew she didn't do anything wrong. Spiritually, I knew she didn't do anything wrong. But I was angry. And I wanted to hold on to that anger for a little while longer. But my spirit says, no, you're going to forgive. You're going to forgive anyway. Even though you know I didn't do anything wrong, you have to forgive. There's this concept in forgiveness that has to do with debts. In fact, when I was younger, I grew up Presbyterian. And when we did the Lord's Prayer in my church, it was always forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? When I got older, I started going to a friend's church, like the Methodist church. I found out that's not how they pray that prayer. They would say trespasses. And some other friends of mine from our modern church, they would say sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I thought that one sounds a lot better. So I went to my father. I said, Dad, how come in our church we say forgive us our debts? He says, well, because, son, we're Presbyterian. And a good Presbyterian would rather have his debts forgiven than his sins. So that's what we pray. <laughs> My dad has a weird sense of humor. Um, but there is this concept in this whole thing of forgiveness that there's a debt. And what you're really saying in forgiveness is, look, you owe me for this, but I'm going to forgive it. And now you don't owe me anymore. Right? There is this idea that this transaction takes place. And some of the actual forgiveness of debts is part of that. Right? So it's a spiritual, it's a physical, it's, a, it's emotional. So let me... Um, let me give you one more idea. And this is a weird one. Don't run out of church screaming heresy. Let me finish. Sometimes you need to forgive God. If you're bitter about your life, exactly who are you bitter to? See, I believe that a lot of times Christians hold bitterness against God, but we can't admit it. Because we know God didn't do anything wrong. When God's perfect, he can't have sinned against me. What would I have to forgive God for? but your flesh is angry at him, and you're holding on to a bitterness against God, how exactly is that relationship going to work if you're bitter against God? Because at some point when we grow up and become Christian, you know, we get this idea that all good gifts come from the Lord. 
and God is, 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 is the basis of everything, good and evil in, in the world. So if our life is more evil than good, whose fault is it? See, there comes a time when we start saying it's God's fault. And that's one of the biggest, biggest problems. So I think maybe sometimes we got to get our spirit involved and say, you know what? Our flesh needs to forgive God. And then our spirit needs to go and ask for forgiveness from God for being so stupid as to be angry and bitter against him to begin with. But sometimes we need to fire that forgiveness weapon more than we're doing it. Listen, if anger and disappointment are the root of bitterness, comparison is a water that'll make it grow. This is the biggest problem we have. We keep comparing. And we don't know what we're comparing, right? We can take a look at our neighbor, and we can look at the car in the house, and we can say, his life's better than mine, but you don't know that. And we could also look at the neighbor on the other side, and their, their car's not as nice as mine, and they seem to always be out there trying to work in our poor car because it's not starting all the time. I thought, well, my life's so much better. Maybe it's not. We don't really know, but even if we do, the Bible's clear on this. Do not compare, right? And because what happens is if we start comparing, soon now we have something to go to God with. We say, okay, God, it's not that I'm trying to be bitter right now, but I'm watching my life and I'm watching my neighbor's life, and, um, you know, I'm looking at it, and that's really a problem for me. What we need to do now is get focused and stop pointing fingers. You're a problem. You're a real, real problem. So that's what we do, right? We look at our neighbor, and they're the problem, Lord. It's not, it's not me. It's not my bitterness. If you'd stop blessing them, it'd be a lot easier for me. There's a story that um, I actually heard. It's a Russian story, not from my wife, uh, about these two farmers in the days of the USSR. They were, they were farmers, you know, that, that collective farming thing they did. And it was really bad soil, as it turns out. And they didn't do very well at it. And then the USSR broke up. And they were free to do whatever they want. And so Ivan comes to his, his friend, and he says, you know, uh, this is really bad soil for growing crop. I'm going to grow goats. It's hilly and it's got some grass in there. I think goats would do okay here. And his friend Boris says, well, I'm not going to do that. I've been a farmer all my life. I'm still a farmer. I'm going to keep growing crops. So they kind of separate a little bit, but they're still neighbors. So they're, 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 they're going on in a few years. These goats do really, really well. And Ivan starts making a lot of money. And Boris still struggles because it's really bad crop. Uh, you know, and so after a period of time, uh, Ivan's looking over at, at Boris and saying, hey, Boris, the goats are going great. And so now Boris is starting to think, well, this isn't any good. And so he starts going to church and he starts crying out to God, God, this is unfair. Help me. Help me. And it keeps going on. You know, Boris keeps watching. His wife starts getting on. Look at Ivan. Ivan, I should have married Ivan. Ivan's wife has a fur coat. Ivan's wife has a new, new stove. And I should have married Ivan. And so he just keeps going down, and he keeps lighting candles and crying out to the Lord, Lord, help me, help me, help me. So finally, St. Peter sends an angel down and says, look, take care of this. Would you please just go down and take care of it? And so there's a new angel. So he goes down to earth, and he meets Boris the next time he comes to church. Boris, I'm here to help you. He says, great. My prayers have been answered. He says, we're a little unclear. You haven't been specific. You keep saying, help me, help me, help me. What is it you want? And Boris looks at the angel and says, I would have thought it'd be obvious. I want you to kill his goats. That's all I want. I just want it to be fair. That's it. As long as they're as miserable as I am, everything's fine. I'll take that. I'd rather us all be happy, but I'll take it if everybody's miserable. Because I'm comparing myself with their life, and they just don't seem to be anywhere near as miserable. So we're in the I know I'm kind of running long. I'm going to try to quickly bring this through. Here's the steps in our life to get bitterness out of it. And we have to get bitterness out of it if we're going to get God's joy into it. So this is, I hope, something everybody wants to do. First of all, we have to refuse to compare. You know when you're doing it. We always know when we're doing it. 
we have to refuse to compare. And the secret to that is we have to learn how to be thankful to God. A thankful heart will never be bitter. A thankful heart will never be bitter. In Philippians, I love this, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Because he knows we're not doing it, right? He says, no, I know what I said. I said rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be evident to all. A lot of Christians, I've never seen a gentle spirit come out of them. I've seen a lot of bitterness, not a gentle spirit. The Lord is near. That's why we should be happy. God's near. There was a time in the world where God wasn't near, but now the Holy Spirit's with you 24-7, 365. We should be happy about that. Don't be anxious about everything. In every situation, through prayer, watch this, with thanksgiving, present your requests to the Lord. See, oftentimes our requests to the Lord go like this. God, do you see this person over here who's not as righteous as I am, and he's, he's getting stuff I'm not getting? Could you please give me that stuff? That's not really coming to the Lord with thanksgiving, is it? He says, in thanksgiving come before the Lord. And, and what's going to happen is this. The peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. If you want to stop the comparison trap, you have to start with thanksgiving. That could simply be thanks. I don't know if anybody uh, saw the Mr. Rogers movie. Everybody can pray. Only needs three words. God, thank you. I mean, that's where prayer begins. Presbyterian minister, by the way, those of you who didn't know. Uh, anyway, number two, uh, expose the anger. We've got to stop making excuses for anger, and we need to expose the anger. If you have bitterness in your life, that means you have anger buried in your life. So after you get the bitterness with Thanksgiving, you need to go after the root. Dig up the root, or it's coming back. You need to find it. So I don't know where it is. I'm angry, but I don't know where it is. Good news, God will help you. In the psalm, the psalmist writes this in 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Look at my heart, Lord. Try me. That means test me. And know my anxious thoughts. I don't know where they're coming from, Lord, but I know it's in my heart. So search in my heart and find it for me. See if there's anything hurtful, any hurtful way in me. And then lead me into your everlasting way. What he's saying is, search my heart. I know I have something here. Something's causing this anxiety in my life. I don't know what it is. If you would reveal it to me, I'll get rid of it, and then I'll have your everlasting life. See, holding on to anger and bitterness is hurtful to you. If you get this, if you ever get this idea, you know what, this is just hurting me, and then you'll get to stop. We understand that it's actually hurting us. And finally, remove the bitterness. We need to get the bitterness out of our life. Once we dig it up, get it out so it doesn't come back and grow again. So... In uh, Ephesians, going on with Ephesians, he says, look, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. We have to be careful what we say. We have to really be careful what we say. When we talk to ourselves, be careful what that is. Because sometimes the only person we're listening to is us. And when you're speaking bitterness, that's all you're hearing. And it just simply propagates more bitterness. A lot of people, like, you know, they get hurt, and what they want to do is they want to go off by themselves. That's a really bad way to do this. Because all you're going to do is hear your own voice. And your own voice isn't really reliable right now because you're hurting. So he says, be careful. Don't let unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. Only the word that is for edification. Only good words should be escaping your mouth, right? And then it says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a fascinating verse to me. We know what grief is, right? Grief is when somebody we love and loves us is now gone from us forever. That's grief. A lot of you have experienced it. Death of someone or just somebody gone from your life that you loved? You know what that's like. Grief's weird. It sneaks up on you. It's like you think you're okay, and all of a sudden something happens, and you're not okay. 
grief will take you away. Here's what Paul's saying. When you don't do this, the Holy Spirit grieves for you. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit's lost you. The Holy Spirit who loves you and you love back is now separated from you. And he grieves you because you're not there anymore. If he's not there, guess what else isn't there? His fruit. So he's saying, look, here's what you need to do. We need to be very, very careful about this. And then he goes on, and this, he goes on to 431. He gives us actually a recipe for getting rid of bitterness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and clamor be put away from you, along with all malice. It's nice. Well, just stop being angry and bitter. That's cool. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to get this out of your life. And then he tells us how. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving. Here's the interesting thing. Um, we do not remove bitterness through desire. If you get up out of here and you go, boy, that bitterness sounds bad. I really want it out of my life. That's not going to do it. It's not a matter. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to just wish harder for it to go away. That's not how this works. That's not how it works. He actually is giving us a pattern. Bitterness gets removed through actions. What actions? Kindness, because you cannot be kind and bitter at the same time. The people who've gone through bitterness in their lives, the fastest I've ever seen them come out of it is when they start throwing themselves into helping other people. That'll pull you out fast because kindness and bitterness can't exist in the same soil. When you're bringing kindness into your soil through your actions, the bitterness has no nutrients to grow, and it will die. Here's the one thing that we have to understand. Soil cannot produce fruits of the spirit and fruits of the flesh at the same time. We need to choose which one we're going to grow. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father.